I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're talking about the Holy Ghost in these Wednesday evening services, the greater one in us. And we're basing it on uh, this um, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. John writing to the church, maybe even his own uh, spiritual converts. He said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, the overcome them that he's talking about are the evil spirits that he referred to that are operating in the world in the previous verses. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want you to notice that Paul, um, John, I want you to notice that John is identifying our victory with the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, you have overcome them because the greater ones in you. So he's talking about a work of the Holy Ghost that's a, an overcoming work, a victorious work. Well, now we want to build on some things that we've said in, in previous um, services in this series. We know that Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We know that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we've also looked at, um, um, well, let let me make a couple of more statements to lay a foundation for where I want to go before I get to the next thing. We know that when Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, they've already been born again. John chapter 20 tells us where Jesus, after his resurrection, the first time after his resurrection that he appeared to them, he appeared in the midst of them where they were hiding out because of fear of the Jews. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, if they didn't get something, then Jesus defrauded them. He tricked them. But they did get something, in fact. And what they got changed their nature. Luke chapter 24, the end of the, ver- uh, end of the chapter, says that they were openly, they were filled with joy and were openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. Something happened to these guys to change them from being fearful and hiding out for fear of the Jews to where now they're openly in the temple where anybody could find them, see them, report them, or whatever. We see from the scripture, Jesus told us this, and then Paul confirmed it, that there are two works of the Holy Ghost. One work that's in salvation that that results in the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God is uh, transferred to us, conveyed to us, and gives us the means whereby we can walk in love and keep the only commandment there is of the new covenant. So when Jesus says to the disciples in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost, he's talking to them after they've been born again. So he's telling them and telling us that there's another work, a second work of the Holy Ghost that's an empowering work. See, salvation is all about being made clean. It's all about being made righteous. It's about the uh, recreated human spirit and God putting himself in us. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is about power. Now, we also see that every time it's recorded in the book of Acts where someone, an individual or groups were filled with the Holy Ghost, it was always accompanied with speaking in other tongues. That's why we say that tongues, speaking with tongues, other tongues, is the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Every time it's there, whether directly or indirectly, and we've gone through some of these uh, instances in uh, previous services, previous messages on, uh, in, according to this topic, I mean, every time, either directly or indirectly, people spoke with tongues. Now, why in the world would Jesus tell us, along with the disciples, that we need to wait 
to receive power if we're going to be the witnesses that he wants us to be. And then give us tongues. Meaning speaking in other tongues. What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus didn't say you shall receive other tongues when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He said you shall receive power. Well, the tongues has to be connected to the power then. Doesn't it? It has to be. It has to be connected to the power. Now, we've talked about some of the things, some of the characteristics that the Bible says about it. And we've seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4, Jesus said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself or empowers himself or spiritually strengthens himself. So there's one way that we see that uh, that's the connection between speaking in tongues and having power or operating in the power of the Holy Ghost. But remember, Jesus said, and John gives us a lot of information about this in the, the uh, 14th, 15th, 16th, and even 17th chapters of his gospel, the gospel of John. He goes into some detail, especially about the, um, the Last Supper, the things that Jesus said, the, la- the last things that Jesus said before he went to the cross. And he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll pray the Father and give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, that word comforter, in John chapter 14 and verse 16, is the first time it shows up. It means paraclete. The, the Greek word is paraclete. And it means several things. The Amplified brings out that it means strengthener, standby, helper, intercessor, advocate, counselor, and I may have left one or two out. But it talks about all of, the, all of these things. Most often the word comforter, the Greek word paraclete, uh, is most often in all the translations that I have access to at least, is most often translated helper. Helper. Well, if we consider 1 John 4, 4, you have overcome them, little children, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We could clearly say that that power, that victory, that overcoming power is because of the Holy Ghost coming on us with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, let's look at another example. I want you to look with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 tells us Paul's writing to the church at Rome, a church he did not start, the only church that he wrote to that he didn't, uh, wasn't included in the founding of the church, uh, the initial founding of the church. They're pretty much Paul's grandchildren, spiritual grandchildren. People that were saved and influenced by Paul earlier in his ministry have gone to Rome and started churches, and there are a number of churches in different homes that Paul identifies at the end of the the book, the letter that we know of as uh, the book of Romans. But he's telling us, some things about the work and the operation of the Holy Ghost in Romans chapter 8 that I think you need to see. Romans chapter 8, let's start in verse 18. I want to create some context for this. Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The word reckon means to accept to take inventory and accept to be true that which is established. We could say it this way, maybe a better way to say it would be, for I have determined that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, the word creature is the word creation. He's talking about the earth, God's creation. He said, for the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, I want you to get what Paul is saying here before we go any further and, and see what he says next. Paul is talking about the church as if it is, a, I mean, uh, he's talking about the planet, planet Earth, as if it is a living thing. 
And it talks about the, the earth, the creation of God, originally created without sin and certainly no presence of sin when he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. He looked at it and said, this is very good, which means perfect. And the creation, the earth itself, was created to be the kingdom of God. He gave authority to man to operate and dominate over the earth. But God's original intent is in his present day intent. God doesn't change his will from one year to the next or one time to the next. He intended and still intends for men made, men and women made in his image and after his likeness, meaning righteousness more than anything else, righteous men and women to exercise control and dominion over the earth. And he says, Paul says, now whether he's speaking literally or whether he's speaking figuratively, it really doesn't matter to me because the result is the same. And you'll see it when we get down to where he starts describing other things. He's saying the earth is groaning and yearning to come back under the dominion of God and God's people. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying for the earnest expectation of the creation, the earth expects to come back under God's control. And the way that that's going to happen, how that's going to take place is that it waits. The earth is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, let me ask you this. When do we become the sons of God? Paul's talking about a condition where the earth is waiting for something that hadn't yet happened. But don't we become sons and daughters of God at the new birth? Isn't that where we're recreated and receive the spirit of God on the inside of us pertaining to and and, uh, considering or concluding in salvation? So what's the earth waiting for? We're already saved. The manifestation of the sons of God has to be something more than just salvation. I believe it's something along the lines of the world, the earth, God's creation rebels against the dominion of Satan, sin and death in the world. And he's waiting for the only thing that can be right, make things right again, and that is for us to start living up to being the sons of God. It's not waiting for everybody to get saved. It's waiting for us to act like we're saved. Act like we're empowered by God. Act like we have dominion in the earth. Let me read it again. For the earnest expectation of the creation, the earth waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, sin, death. It was made subject to vanity, not willingly. The earth did not want to fall under the curse. Again, he's not talking about people. He's talking about the place that he created. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him, Adam, who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, the earth, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, the word they is added by the translators, not only they or the earth, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, or which is the redemption of our body. So here's what, the, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the earth is waiting to come under the dominion of God and God's people, and it's groaning, it's travailing, Until that happens. 
Paul then says, it's similar to the desire that we have to receive our redeemed bodies when Jesus comes back again. So notice that it says that the earth, because of the condition that came upon the earth, the earth did not want to fall into the control of Satan or sin and death. The earth is waiting for something to change and deliver it back under the hands of God. To come back under God's rule. The authority and dominion that is to be exercised by God's righteous children. Now notice verse 26. Likewise. Likewise. In other words, what he's about to say about the Holy Ghost in us. He's saying that we're in a similar situation as the earth itself. And just as the earth groans, seeking to get out from under the dominion of sin and death, the law of sin and death that Paul identifies. He says, likewise. I skipped a couple of verses there, but it's okay. We're not missing out on much. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now stop there for a minute. Jesus said the comforter was the helper. So here's the picture I want you to get. I want you to understand that the help that the Bible promises us, the help of the Holy Ghost that the Bible promises us. Paul gives us an example, a picture into how the Holy Ghost helps, how he becomes our helper. Now, the example that he uses, and he could have used any example that there was, the example that he uses is our desire, along with the earth's desire, to come out completely from the bondage of sin and death, the law of sin and death. Because that law still operates in our bodies because we have experience between right and wrong. The creation, the created bodies, created in perfection from the original, have been tainted. Your spirit's made new, but your body still deals with the experience of sin. So look how the Holy Ghost helps. Likewise also, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmities is not the word for sickness. It's the word weakness. He's saying we have a weakness. Now he's just described that the earth can't get out from under the law of sin and death by itself. It's going to need help. The help that it identifies that the earth will receive is this manifestation of the sons of God. I believe that's talking about when man steps into the authority and operates in it the way Jesus wants us to. Maybe a better way to say that would be when the church starts living just like Jesus did. Doing the same works as him and even greater works that Jesus said we would do. What else could it be? So he says, likewise, in the same way. The spirit helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. What weaknesses are you talking about? He describes it. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. He's saying it's a weakness to go into prayer without the whole picture, the entirety of what's going to happen in the future and so forth. And you can consider this for yourself. If you knew what tomorrow would bring, if you knew everything that was going to happen in your future, or at least the bigger things that were going to happen in your future, it would change the way you prayed about things. We all have had the experience many times, I suppose, 
of coming up on a situation in our lives and thinking, boy, I wish I'd known that was coming ahead of time. I'd done things a lot differently. I'd have prepared for it differently. I'd have prayed differently. I'd be in a different position than I am now where it just came on me. So you can well understand that there's a great disadvantage to our earthly mind. The limitations of our earthly, fle- earthly body and soul and so forth. And God wants to overcome that limitation. Paul's telling us, here's how the Holy Ghost helps us. Now, that's the point I really want you to get. I want you to see how does the Holy Ghost help us. Jesus said he had help. Jesus said that help was the power of God to fulfill his plan for our lives. So how does the Holy Ghost help? Doesn't do us much good to know he's the helper if we don't know how to tap into the help. Do you see where I'm going with this? Wouldn't it be a shame to get to heaven and the Holy Ghost, look at the Holy Ghost face to face and have him say, why didn't you let me help you? Well, that would be an eternal tragedy. But I would submit to you that most of us, even those of us that call ourselves word people, most of us don't know how to tap into the help of the Holy Ghost. Most of us are living by the mercy of God rather than obtaining the help of the Holy Ghost that he wants us to have. Now, God never changes. So the principle for helping in the way that Paul describes has got to be the principle for him helping us in every situation we encounter. So how does he help? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We know what to pray for, but just not with the full picture. Not like we ought to know. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. A couple of things I want you to see about this. Most Christians that have heard anything about intercession whatsoever, know anything about the prayer of intercession and so forth, look at every time the Bible uses the word intercession and thinks it means prayer. Well, if the Holy Ghost is our helper, he's our counselor, he's our strengthener, he's our standby, he's our advocate, and he's our intercessor, then it must be important for him to intercede for us. But that does not mean prayer. The Holy Ghost does not pray. Who would he pray to? He's God. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, Jesus prayed. Yeah, while he was here on the earth. Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of God. The Bible says we have a great high priest who maketh intercession for the saints. If Jesus is praying at the right hand of the Father, then the work's not finished. That means the redemptive work of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection was not a complete work. Jesus is not praying for you at the right hand of the Father. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, because I'm going away, you won't have to pray to me to get me to pray to God. You can pray directly to your Father, for he loves you just like he loves me. Intercession means to fill up the gap, to fill up the missing parts. The simplest explanation I know to use, and I've used this illustration many times, if I know somebody that you want to meet, but you don't know them, and I introduce them to you or you to them, I have just interceded between you and them to make a connection for you, for your benefit. The Holy Ghost is our intercessor, not because he prays for us. Jesus is our Lord and Savior and high priest, but not because he prays for us. 
Jesus ever liveth and is seated at the right hand of God to prove that intercession has been made. He joined God and man in a way that nobody could but himself. And when he joined us together with God, he made us one. That means he made intercession for us to bring us together into the family of God. And he did that by the shedding of his blood and by his resurrection. So he's not talking about prayer. He's talking about giving us something we don't have to get to the place where we need to be. The place that we need to be, he's talking about is in prayer. Is that clear? The Holy Ghost is our intercessor because he provides for us what we don't know we need or what we don't have because of the limitations of our flesh. So when it says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, it means he's filling up the gap. Literally, that's what these words mean. It means to fill up the missing part, to complete it. Well, the completion that he's saying that we need is according to our understanding when it comes to prayer. But the Holy Ghost gives us the words to speak that we need to. He's not the one doing the praying. He's the helper, not the doer. We're the ones that still have to pray. But he helps us. And notice how it says that he helps us. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us, fills up the gap, makes the connection that's missing because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. He maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. In the Greek, this literally means, according to P.C. Nelson, who is a Greek scholar in Previous, in the last generation. He said the best way to translate this would be to translate it God talk. Well, what is God talk? Well, Paul said that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit. He speaks mysteries. Weymouth's translation says divine secrets. Now, where do we get the means to, to speak these divine secrets? He's talking about praying in the Spirit. He's talking about praying in other tongues. So here's the point that I'm trying to get to. Since Jesus said we'd receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon us, he's talking about the baptism of the Spirit, or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And those instances, every instance, both in the book of Acts and in us as well, every instance identifies... That the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is speaking in other tongues. Paul's just saying the way to get the help of the Holy Ghost is to pray in tongues. The way to get the Holy Ghost to help you is by utterance in other tongues. The utterance that comes from Him so that you and I can pray divine secrets. Let's keep reading verse 27. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That just simply means he gives us utterance according to the will of God. When you're speaking or praying in other tongues, you're always praying in direct line and and, uh, agreement with the plan and the purpose of God. Always. That's one of the great benefits of speaking and praying in other tongues. It does away with all selfish praying. Because if you're praying according to the utterance of the Holy Ghost, according to the utterance that he gives you to pray, it's never going to be selfish. And he who knows the mind of the Spirit, 
He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That simply means you're always praying in the will of God when you're praying in tongues. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose. Now, if, if there's one scripture, maybe more than any others, that, have been, that has been twisted around, used out of context, and used to try to support some position that's, that's directly in opposition to what the Bible says, it's verse 30. I'm sorry, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. If we take this in context, he's saying, just like the earth groans, we groan, waiting for the plan of God to be realized. And just like our desires are in line with the will of God when we pray in other tongues, that's the help we need to pray as we ought. It's not that our mind all of a sudden understands everything. But our spirit communicates divine secrets with God at the direction of the Holy Ghost with the utterance that the Holy Ghost gives us. And after we pray in tongues, after we yield to the utterance of the Holy Ghost to pray something out in tongues, pray something to its completion where we get a witness on the inside of us that we've we've got it, a likeness, a song of thanksgiving, something to that effect that identifies that's all there needs to be prayed about in this situation. That's when things work out for, together for good. That's when God can use your prayers and my prayers given by the utterance of the Holy Ghost, given by the direction of the Holy Ghost for us to utter. That's when everything works out to our advantage. So how does the Holy Ghost help? By giving us utterance to speak in tongues. What does that do for us? Well, according to Paul, it brings us victory. This is the same victory, the same situation, different wordings, but the same situation that John refers to, 1 John 4, 4, you have overcome them, little children, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You activate the greater one by speaking and praying in other tongues. That's how you get the helper to help. Now turn with me over to John chapter 14. With that in mind, I want you to see some things real quickly here this evening. I want you to see some things that Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do. Verse 16, he said, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, paraclete, helper, helper, counselor, intercessor, advocate, standby, strengthener, and whatever other descriptions he gives. And I'll pray the Father, and he may give you another comforter, that is, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Notice he's talking about a work of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth, that's beyond salvation. He said the world can't receive the Holy Ghost. Now, we have to understand enough about how the Holy Ghost works in us in salvation and the baptism of the Spirit to be able to differentiate. Jesus understood there would be two works, dual works. He understood there'd be a work of the Holy Ghost in salvation and bringing us to salvation. And he understood that there would be a work of the Holy Ghost that empowers us through the baptism of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Which one's he talking about? He's not talking about salvation. 
He's talking about something that only the people of God, the children of God can receive. See, Jesus is God's gift to the world. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is God's gift to his children. That's what Jesus is saying. The world doesn't need divine communication or a means of divine communication with God. The world needs to become new creatures in him. The world needs to be born again. But the children of God need power. And that's what he's saying. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him. But you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. The word comfortless it means orphans or estranged. I will not leave you without help in other words. I will come to you. Skip down with me to verse 26. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost. Whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. He's still talking about the Holy Ghost being the peace of God. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. And neither let it be afraid. Notice what he's saying. He says two things about what the Holy Ghost will do. Here's how the Holy Ghost will help us. He'll bring us peace. And he'll bring all things to our remembrance what Jesus said. How? I want all that. No Christian in his right mind would say otherwise. How does it come? Through the one means, one means of accessing the power of God and that is speaking in other tongues. Folks, if you do much praying in other tongues like I do, then you know very readily, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest revelations you get are as a result of praying in other tongues. If you pray in tongues regularly, join your spirit to God through praying in other tongues, speaking in other tongues, that is the most often, most common means or method whereby the Holy Ghost will remind you of verses of Scripture you may, you may not have even known were in the Bible. He'll bring things to your remembrance. He'll remind you of what Jesus said. He'll remind you from the Word what belongs to you. Now, I think a lot of times we've thought in the past, perhaps, I know a lot of people think this even now, I hope you don't, but it's easy when you don't know much about what you're doing, you don't know much about what belongs to you when you're just getting started in these spiritual things, it's easy to just sit back and say, well, the Bible says the Holy Ghost will remind me of everything Jesus said. So Holy Ghost, just tell me what you need to tell me. Give it to me. I'm ready. And we think somehow it's going to happen other than the means and the method, the vehicle or the manner that God gives us for accessing the power of the Holy Ghost, which is speaking in other tongues. Notice the next thing Jesus said about the Holy Ghost in John chapter 15. Verse 26, he said, But when the Comforter is come, same word, paraclete, helper, and all the other descriptive words. Well, hold on a second. Let me just pull this up and read it to you from the Amplified real quick. 
in my own computer. Okay, here's what the Amplified says, John 15, 26. But when the comforter, in parentheses, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby, when he comes, whom I will send you from send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he himself will testify regarding me. So I want you to see, it's just like I told you. The helper that does all these things, the helper that strengthens us, the helper that counsels us, gives us direction. When the comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. How's he going to do that? It's saying that he will operate in us. He doesn't operate apart from us. We're the ones that have authority on the earth, not even the Holy Ghost. Jesus delegated that authority to his children, his family, the church. So it's not the Holy Ghost doing the work. The Holy Ghost is helping us do the work that God has for us to do. And the way he's going to testify, whether that's through word or action, will come from him providing you what you need in every situation so that you can testify or be a witness to the glory of God. Sounds good. How? By the one and only one means he gave us to access the power of the Holy Ghost, which is speaking with other tongues. Look at the next chapter, chapter 16. Notice in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. Expedient means better. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling the disciples that have walked with him and counted on him and depended on him and been with him every day for the last three years of his earthly ministry. Jesus is saying it's better for you to have the comforter than for me to stick around. Now, we think exactly opposite to that. All of us have been tempted to, to, to wonder or wish that we could have been alive when Jesus was alive. But Jesus said the day that we're living in is better than the day that they lived in. Now, I would draw one conclusion to bring to your attention of that, and that is that has to mean that most of the church is not living up to who we're supposed to be. Because the way that the, most Christians live today I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about their attitude toward God and their reverence toward the word and so forth. The way that most Christians live and the works or lack thereof that the church does aren't anywhere close to what Jesus did. But if Jesus said it was better for us that he go away so that the comforter could come, then there must be power, victorious power, overcoming power, of the Holy Ghost that's available to us that we're not tapping into. What else could it be? Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away so the Holy Ghost can come, the comforter, the strengthener, the helper. But if I, go, if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, notice he's going to talk about what the Holy Ghost will do. When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Please notice he's talking about the unsaved. He's not talking about the church. He doesn't say he'll reprove or rebuke or convince, admonish. There's different words that are used to describe this. That's not regarding the church. It's regarding the world. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. 
Now, we know since Jesus lives in our heart and we've confessed him as our Lord and Savior, we've been born again. That doesn't apply to us. Couldn't. And there's only one sin, never will be another sin that sends somebody to hell. The one sin that makes the difference between a person's eternity, whether heaven or hell, is his attitude and faith that he's exercised toward making Jesus the Lord of his life. That's it. The world's got this idea that God's waiting to count up all of their mistakes against them. And there's only one that they'll be held responsible for, and that is rejecting Jesus. Well, that's what he does with the world. Notice what else he'll do. He'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go unto my father. Now, he's talking about the new birth. And you shall see me no more. Of judgment. Here's the third thing that the Holy Ghost will do. He'll reprove the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, I've got to tell you, folks, I think the last two. The first one is for the unsaved. I think the last two is for us. I think the last two works of the Holy Ghost are for us. He will reprove, admonish, convict, lead us toward, influence us toward righteousness because he went to the Father. He expects us to grow up and know what belongs to us because of the sacrifice that he made. The last one that he said, the third thing that the work of the Holy Ghost will do in the church age is he'll reprove, I believe it's the church, of judgment. Not judgment against us, but judgment, the meaning of judgment because Satan, the prince of this world, has been judged. Now, if the the world focuses on the part that belongs to them, they'll make Jesus the Lord of their lives and come into the family of God. Then they become recipients or eligible at least for all the blessings of God in every way. Baptism of the Holy Ghost and everything else that belongs to us. But if the church understands and accepts the reproving of the Holy Ghost concerning righteousness, then we'll learn more about who we are and begin to stand in the place that God made for us to be. And if the church learns that the, that the devil, the prince of this world, has already been judged, not going to be judged, He's already been judged by the shedding of Jesus' blood and his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Then we'll start living up to who Jesus made us to be and follow his example in the works that he did in the earth. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. He said, I have many things yet to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, Jesus is saying, folks, that's not nearly all. There's so much more that I could say. There's so much more about who you're going to be in me, speaking from Jesus' point of view, who we are in Christ and the works that he's empowered us to do. There's so much more, but you can't handle any more of it right now. Well, doesn't that imply that we'll grow into the knowledge of the things that he he couldn't tell us at that point? Verse 12, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come? The spirit of truth. Now, what does it mean for the spirit of truth? Why is he calling him the spirit of truth? A little bit later, after Jesus finishes the... talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's taken prisoner by the Romans. 
John chapter 17, verse 17 says this. Jesus prayed to the Father about his disciples and you and me too, those that would believe on, on him through their words, which all of us do. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Sanctify, separate, cleanse us by his truth. Then he defines what that is. He said, thy word is truth. Sanctify us through thy, by thy word. Thy word is truth. So when Jesus, speaking of truth in the same way in John chapter 17 as he did in John chapter thir- uh, 16, He's not talking about two different things. He's not talking about two different truths. He's not talking about my truth versus your truth. That's one of those catchphrases that people use that just frost me. The truth is true. Whether it's your truth or not. So Jesus is talking about the same thing when he's talking about the truth. He's talking about the word of God. So notice he calls the Holy Ghost the spirit of truth. And by his definition, we could substitute the spirit of the word. That's why the word and the Holy Ghost are always going to agree. That's why the Holy Ghost will never lead you astray or contrary to what the Bible says. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into the word. He'll guide you into the results that the word is supposed to bring into your life. He'll guide you into God's perfect plan for you that may not be spelled out on the pages of your Bible, but will certainly be revealed to your heart, your spirit. He'll guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. How does the Holy Ghost speak? How does the Holy Ghost speak? Well, there are manifestations of the Spirit where the Holy Ghost will speak through someone maybe in a a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom or revelation will come to someone as a part of the ministry call and and purpose that God has for their lives. But that doesn't operate too often in us, does it? How does the Holy Ghost speak? You remember Isaiah chapter 20, is it 26 or 28, verse 11, where it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto this people. It doesn't say, will this people speak unto me? It says, will I speak unto them? How does the Holy Ghost speak? The Holy Ghost speaks to our own hearts, ministers to our own hearts, reveals things to our own spirits when we speak in other tongues. And folks, that's part of the strengthening process. That's part of the way the Holy Ghost helps us. For us to think that the Holy Ghost is just going to manifest himself Apart from the gift that he gave us and the means to exercise that gift, what I'm speaking specifically of is speaking in other tongues. How can we expect the Holy Ghost just to do that apart from what he gave us? Now, I know that's what a lot of people want. A lot of people read the list of nine manifestations of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And they say, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray. I want you to give me all nine manifestations of the Spirit. I want them all. So, Lord, you bring them to me. Go ahead. Bring them to me now, Lord. Anybody get anywhere with God that way? Of course not. But if we speak in other tongues where we're speaking according to the will of God and not a selfish purpose that we might have, 
That's when we tap into the help of the Holy Ghost. That's when, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying we can dictate what we will have or what we won't have when it comes to the manifestation of the Spirit. But that puts us in a position to hear when God does speak. To be ready to move when he does prompt us. To speak when he wants us to speak. To be silent when he wants us to be silent. And it's all by speaking in other tongues. Every bit of it. Howbeit, when he the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. Everybody wants to be led of the Holy Ghost. Can't go wrong when you're being led of the Holy Ghost. How is the number one way the Holy Ghost is going to lead you? By revealing things to your heart. Planning God's purpose god's desires for you in your own heart your own spirit by speaking in other tongues he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come what's the holy ghost here what does the holy ghost hear Well, certainly he hears our words, but he has no need to reveal to us what we already know. He has no need to reveal to us what what we've already said. When he talks about he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He's talking about what he hears from the throne room of God. That's what he'll speak and reveal to you. How? That sounds like a lot of good help. How? It occurs when we speak in other tongues. It takes place when we edify ourselves spiritually. Put spiritual things ahead of natural things. Folks, you just cannot overemphasize the point, the fact. Speaking in tongues is one of the greatest ways to access the help of the Holy Ghost. Anything outside of that, anything that the Holy Ghost does. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. But they operate as the Spirit wills. They operate as the spirit wills. Now, folks, I got to tell you, if we look at the work that the church, uh, modern day church is doing as a whole, it looks to me like there's a big difference in what the modern day church is doing and what Jesus did on the earth. And Jesus said that we should do the same things he did. Well, why is the church world at large not doing the things that Jesus did. Don't get me wrong. I, I know everybody's sincere. and I believe everybody's doing the best they know how to do. I certainly am. I assume you are too. Not a criticism, but it's just an observation. It's a factual observation. There are enough Christians on the earth to reach everybody in a matter of few days. Evangelizing the world is not tough. Coca-Cola has done it. I'm serious. They have advertised and spoken of their product to such a degree that John Osteen said there's two things that you can count on seeing no matter how far back in the woods or the jungles of Africa that you go or any other place. You'll find some white-haired woman praying. You'll find a Coca-Cola bottle. I know he was making a joke, but I don't think he's far wrong. Why doesn't the church do the same work as Jesus did and reach people the same way that Jesus reached them? Well, I don't claim to have all the answers on that, but I would uh, submit something for you to consider. Could it be possible that at least a part of it 
is because we have not relied on the Holy Ghost for the help that he said he'd give. I believe that's a big part of it. How's he going to guide us? He's going to reveal things to our hearts when we're praying in other tongues. Don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not saying that we can pray in other tongues and change the will of God. If the manifestations of the Spirit operate as the Spirit wills, not as I will, but as the Holy Spirit wills, and that's what the Bible says it does, that's what the Bible says it works, how it works, if the Holy Ghost is the one that initiates or activates the power, provides the power for the nine manifestations of the Spirit, can we change the will of God by praying in other tongues? Can we change the will of God? I don't believe we can. Now, there are things we can reason with him about that aren't set in stone that he might agree with us to do or to allow us to do. There's no question of that. But you can't change the will of God by praying more. You can't change the will of God by reading your Bible more. You can't change the will of God by doing any and all of the things that are good for us to do to strengthen us spiritually. That does not change God. I don't care if you go on a thousand day fast. You're not going to change the will of God. God's going to be the same before you fast, while you're fasting, and after you're done. So it's not a matter of changing the will of God. It's a matter of conforming to the will of God so that we understand what his will is. How do we do that? Praying in tongues is a great way to get started. Because we're yielding to the Holy Spirit to give us utterance to pray rather than just pray according to what we think and what we want and how we want it. Can you see that? You just cannot overestimate the importance of praying or speaking in other tongues. It's the means of power. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear from God, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. He's got to be talking about revelation. He's got to be talking about God opening our eyes, the Holy Ghost opening our eyes to who we are in the Word, what the Word says about what belongs to us, and so forth. He's talking about revelation. That's great help. But how do we access that help? The only way the Bible gives us is to speak in other tongues. I've read a lot of biographies some autobiographies by people that were greatly used of God, people that I admire for, uh, for the, the means and the manner in which God used them, many of them in signs and wonders and miracles. And without exception, every one of them have come to their end of their lives saying, I wish I'd prayed more. After having ministry lives ministry careers that far surpass anything you and i might ever do their whole thing was i wish i'd prayed more well the ones that know how to pray in other tongues those of them that have been filled with the spirit you could well understand why they wish they had prayed more because it's speaking in other tongues praying in other tongues that puts the holy ghost to work to help us like jesus said he was supposed to help 
It's the way he helps our infirmities about not knowing what to pray for like we ought to. He gives us utterance in other tongues. We may not even know what he gave us. We may not have any understanding whatsoever of what he impressed upon us or gave us utterance to say or to pray. But I think when we get to heaven, it's going to be very interesting for us to look at our lives, a replay of our lives where God shows us, here's where the Holy Ghost helped you on that. And we might not have even been conscious of it. But the bigger place we give to the Holy Ghost in our lives, translated this way, the bigger place we give to speaking and praying in other tongues in our lives, the more of the power of the Holy Ghost we put to work. The power to be witnesses, the power to stand in the place God has for us to stand, the power to be overcomers and victorious in every area of life. Does praying in tongues take the place of anything and everything else we're supposed to do? No. We're still supposed to study the word to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We're still supposed to pray with our understanding as far as we know how. But you just can't overestimate the value and the importance of speaking in other tongues. You just cannot overestimate the, the power, the spiritual power that it brings into our lives. Little by little, bit by bit. The help of the Holy Ghost is accessed, tapped into by praying in other tongues. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the precious Holy Ghost that was given to us to be our teacher and our guide, our strengthener and our standby. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' holy and precious name that as we speak according to your plan and your purpose, as we speak according to your direction, you make a power available to us that goes beyond anything and everything that we know. And it puts us over in life, whether by spectacular means or just supernatural means. The great Holy One, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, gives us the victory in every aspect. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to speak divine secrets with you. We thank you for filling us with your Spirit for enduing us with power through the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us. Sorry for keeping you a little bit late, but they sang a long time. God bless you. Have a great week. <laughs>